Welcome to the Shadow of the Valley, the show that tracks the troubling trends of technology today through contemplative conversations with actors of conscience. I'm your host, Tal Leeds, your guide through the digital darkness we dare not speak. Join me as we plumb the depths and seek the roots of post-human dilemmas. Together we'll explore key concepts, seek clear insight, and cut through the distractions to find solutions to some of our toughest challenges. Our guest this episode is Maggie Duvall. Maggie, among her many talents, is a senior web developer at Polycott Associates and an experienced designer. Her unique upbringing has kept her at the front lines of digital technology's history, from its roots in 60s counterculture to the heydays of cyberculture in the 90s, up through the cutting edge of where technology and consciousness expansion meet today. And then she said, there's, you know, we, we need to understand how we're all interconnected. She said, we're going to come up with this thing somehow <laughs> that's going to show us uh -huh. what that's like. Together we'll explore Maggie's oral history of the internet as we know it today. We'll get her perspective on how we got to this point, what went wrong, and what we can do about it. It's time to step into the dark, so let's begin. As the internet rose to prominence during the early 90s, the optimism of the 60s echoed throughout the newly born cyberculture. Raves, Burning Man, and Mondo 2000, which was the cyberpunk precursor to Wired Magazine, were all born out of the sense of hope and possibility that came with it. With the Cold War over and a new technology emerging to connect the world, the possibilities for freedom in this new, unregulated frontier seemed endless. Fast forward to 2018, and a very different picture has emerged. In light of the many scandals around fake news, addictive and manipulative social media platforms, intrusive data collection, and deeply divided Western democracies, a growing wave of digital skeptics and lawmakers are starting to call for regulation. According to people like Silicon Valley ethicist Tristan Harris, these technologies, whose design is shaped by the demands of capital and online advertising models, are hijacking our minds. Instead of becoming more free and equal, we're flirting with fascism and tumbling towards an intention deficit dystopia. So how did we get here, and how do we get back on track? For a bit of insight on the matter, I'd like to turn to media theorist Douglas Rushkoff. Rushkoff is a former digital optimist, an early internet advocate who is now sounding the alarm about tech's dark turn. Rushkoff likes to frame our digital zeitgeist through the lens of 60s hippie icon Timothy Leary, who, in his late life, called the internet, PCs, and the emerging cyberculture, quote, the new LSD. By that, Leary meant that these technologies act as a sort of psychedelic, in the sense that they change the mind and open it up in new and strange ways that can alter the way people think and perceive the world around them. Strangely enough, Leary's proposition is not terribly far off from what Tristan Harris is saying about Google and Facebook. Both recognize the power of the internet and digital media to transform our minds and our consciousness by means of what we can poetically call a shared hallucination. 
But while Leary's statement was a hopeful and naive one made at the dawn of the net, Harris's addresses the stark reality of how things have actually turned out. Adopting Leary's view, Rushkoff concludes that we lack the appropriate tools to navigate this shared hallucination. And as a result, we're having a really bad trip. And although Harris doesn't quite frame the issue in the same way, his conclusions, as far as I can tell, are roughly the same for all intents and purposes. So, not only do we not have the tools in which to navigate this hallucination, but the sources of it are designed to get us hooked. Throw in that paranoia-inducing data collection that they perform on their users, and suddenly Leary's drug comparison starts to take on a new layer of meaning. But if we can get into the situation, then we should be able to get out of it. The same conditions that create dystopia could, in theory, also create a utopia, or at least something better than we already have. Instead of creating these endless fear spirals, fake news, and driving people into tribal mindsets, couldn't we come up with some sort of principles or disciplines that could help us navigate these realms of the collective mind? As our guests will explain, these technologies were developed with the intent of forging empathic connections between people across the globe. Maybe, if we can remind ourselves of these origins and intentions, we can reframe the way we talk about these issues and arrive at some better solutions. This episode, our guest is Maggie Duvall. Maggie Duvall has spent 30 years at the intersection of arts and technology within the industry as a manager, as a web developer, and as an experience designer. He was a witness to the birth of the web as we know it today, and was involved in the early days of the Burning Man Festival as a media manager. Maggie is also a board member for EFF Austin, the Austin chapter of the nationwide, independent, nonprofit civil liberties organization concerned with emerging frontiers where technology meets society. They are concerned with topics such as net neutrality, digital rights management, digital privacy, cyborg rights, and much more. He is currently a senior developer with Polycot Associates, a member-owned web development co-op. Welcome, Maggie Duvall. Hi, how you doing? <laughs> Good, how are you? Hanging in there. <laughs> <laughs> Good. So, uh, we just read off your uh, extensive uh, bio there. Uh, Maggie, you've, you've been involved in quite a few projects and keep your hands <laughs> uh, in a lot of different... Tentacles. A lot of different... <laughs> yeah, a lot of different places here. Um, so, I just want to... Um, Maybe start off by introduce you know introducing uh, you a little bit more here and going a little bit more in depth. Get 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 a little perspective on who you are and what your work has been and what what your interests are in general. Um, they seem to be very uh, diverse and um, very much you're very much a uh, you know a, I guess you could say a generalist, but also um, very interested in a lot of different things. A sort of um, the word escapes me, but you know what I mean. You're you're, you're, you're a bit of a Renaissance woman. woman. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so perhaps uh, 
tell us a bit about, you know, what that's like and, and what sort of maybe any philosophies that are behind that sort of life approaches that are behind that and the, the sorts of um, perspectives that that's given you on uh, the topics that this, this interview uh, series is about. Sure. I, I think uh, I, I, I always like to go back to my upbringing. Hmm. I had a mom who was a career military officer's wife. Um, what, what do I say? A, a metaphysician cleverly disguised as a career <laughs> military officer's wife. Uh-huh. And she, um, she told me that when I was born, she went on her search. So she started reading everything she could get her hands on, uh, including everything on the CIA blacklist. Um, just to annoy my father, who's an intelligence officer. <laughs> so, um, but it was it was everything you could possibly think of. A lot of what you would term futurism. Mm. She was fascinated by it. She was fascinated by the work of um, Dr. Edgar Mitchell, who find, yeah. founded the Institute of Noetic Sciences. Mm -hmm. And she, my mom was actually an early member of that. Oh, interesting. And um, you know Barbara Marks Hubbard. And um, I remember when I was. You know, in 1982, I think that's when the Aquarian Conspiracy by Marilyn Ferguson came okay, out. Okay, yeah. Uh, she gave it to me as a gift. Okay. Uh, I I spent my entire childhood. Um, she she would. Um, I, I hated school. Yeah. Because it was too stifling, and uh, it just I was bored, senseless. So I became what I term a sickly child, quote unquote. <laughs> and my mom, my mom and I would conspire. Uh -huh. And she would write notes. You know, I had the consumption that week or whatever. And she'd write notes, and we'd go on exploratory adventures together. Okay. We'd go to bookstores. We'd go to museums. Wow. We'd go. Yeah. She'd introduce me to all these um, authors whose books she'd read. Yeah. It was an entirely different uh, upbringing than most people I know. Yeah. And much of it was about what was coming forward. Yeah. She was always fascinated with that. And so she instilled that in she you She completely very instilled that in me. Yeah. And I remember one of the things that, I think she'd read Fritjof Capra or something, Web sure, of yeah. Life or mm -hmm. something. And she's... That with physics also? Yeah, right? all yeah. of that. You know, and I remember her uh, breathlessly saying to me one day, Maggie, you know, we... We we seem we humans seem to need to develop these technologies yeah. to help us to viscerally and tangibly understand these innate powers that we already you know possess right yeah. and then she said there's you know we we need to understand how we're all interconnected she said we're going to come up with this thing somehow <laughs> that's going to show us uh -huh. what that's like yeah. and I think it's interesting that several years later me who was never really interested in tech ended up in tech yeah um and being there at the birth of the web and all yeah. that yeah so. well it's very interesting because um a lot of people don't realize how much the things that your mother was interested in played a role in the in the development of, of technology as we know it today yes uh silicon valley being deeply uh, uh rooted and and influenced by Many of the things that you just mentioned, and many yeah. more things that we could probably talk about for days. Counterculture, yeah, yeah counterculture mm -hmm. essentially, um, and you know, of course, the hippie movement and all that other stuff is really the sort of unspoken or, or rarely spoken of uh, origin point for for all of this. 
and uh, you know, I guess you could, a lot of people trace it to the um, the, the the whole Earth catalog, right? Mm -hmm. And Stuart Brand, or even like Kevin Ken Kesey and the Merry Pranksters, of course, yeah. Just to Stuart Brand being at those, right? Uh, yeah, there's a great there's a great book. Have you read um, uh, from from Counterculture to Cyberculture by Fred Turner? I have not read that one. That's but, an amazing yeah. book. I, I used it for my digital uh, um, history of uh, digital culture class. I taught at my daughter's school. Oh, wonderful! So anyway, sorry for that interjection. So yeah, okay, <laughs> but I, I, yeah. I, I bring that up because yeah. you're clearly uh, part of that lineage and, and and a witness to to that development. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, I feel like that's incredibly important to understand in order to get a handle on the sort of crisis point that we're at, at mm -hmm. right now with, with technology. Mm -hmm. um, so having come from this perspective, um, how would you describe your current outlook on what's happening with technology today? I mean, I think it's safe to say from your perspective, this is maybe not what you would have expected. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, no. Uh, well, and uh, what I want to do is basically yeah. give you give you the, the give you the floor, yeah. <laughs> so to speak, to just sort of um, you know express express your perspective on things from your perspective, and 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 just uh, lend that to the audience so that they can they can um, get a little okay. uh, uh, of your point of view on this. Sure. Um, well, I I it's I think that I can say I saw it coming just from you know, how it's mutated and how there's, you know, the forces of darkness. <laughs> you know, it's, it's called advertising and marketing. Uh -huh. And, um, uh, you know, the, the early days when, okay, when I was first online, so in 89, when I was um, using, um, you know, working, I, you know, I had it at work, the job I had, I, was, I had a Sun workstation, which was nobody else had, of any of my friends. Even and and what, are, what's a Sun workstation? It's Sun, um, you know, Unix boxes, and they're super powerful machines used in engineering. And okay. So everybody else was using, you know, the early PCs and, early, you know, the early Macs and okay. stuff like that. But I had a Sun workstation. <laughs> and, you know, I learned um, command line Unix. Okay, so so this is, yeah, so this is Unix. We're not... We're not talking about Windows no, or, no. or yeah. any of that. No you, graphical user interface. None of that. It's all command line stuff. But, so. uh, but, but the trade-off being you have an exceptionally powerful <laughs> computer at your disposal. Yeah, yeah. And it's sort of, you know, it's kind of cool because um, I did, you know, my brain didn't work that way. I had a very arts-minded brain, but I forced myself to learn this. And it was great because now I, you know, I grew up with understanding what the underlying framework of the whole thing was instead yeah. of just, you know you know, oh, there's a browser and you do this thing. And yeah. I, I'm really grateful for that, help with big picture stuff. Yeah. Um, but at that time, so this company I worked at was Exemplar Logic, and it was awesome because it was in Berkeley, yeah. you know, and I, I always wanted to go to Berkeley because of, you know, my mom telling me all the cool things were happening, Yeah. Uh, you know, in the Bay Area and at Esalen and San Francisco and Berkeley and so on and so forth. So I find myself there and I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe it, man. It's really great. <laughs> and um, our office was in an old train, like, locomotive turnaround uh -huh. that they retrofitted. 
And what was phenomenal is that across the street was Fantasy Records, where Creedence Clearwater Revival, you know, <laughs> recorded their albums. And my favorite show of all time, Thinking Aloud with Dr. Jeffrey Mishlove, who interviewed all these incredible people that my mom had turned me on to when I was growing up, is the office was right next door. Okay. So it was this incredible intersection. It was really exciting. It was really heady. It was really hopeful. And, um, you know, my, my, our founder being a former hippie and social activist at mm -hmm. Berkeley in the 60s, he, just a different creature altogether. And the right. office environment was completely mellow. Um, I didn't have to deal with any sexual harassment because he set the tone. Uh, you know, I'd never experienced that before. I was used to 80s excess. Uh -huh. my, my early career was in, like, you know, the big shoulder pads and the bows and the horrible <laughs> cubicle culture of the 80s. And, um, uh -huh. so, so being in there, we would, do, we would do every Friday, you know, I worked with these people from all over the world. I worked from with these computer scientists, the startup from, you know, England and Russia and Israel and uh, uh, Japan and, you know, so it was this, uh, in Holland, and it was this melange of cultures, yeah, yeah. which excited me to no end. Sure. And every Friday, we'd, we would just hang out and drink beer and just talk philosophy. <laughs> so talking philosophy with these brilliant engineers yeah. was pretty awesome. So they would, they would inform me, this is what's coming down the pipe. Uh -huh. You know, this is the kind of computing power we're going to have. And they would say, imagine parallel processing. Imagine the implications of just a solid pipe of information, you know, coming through and there's no lag, there's no delay. You know, and this is back in the days of dial-up still. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were on a T1 line or whatever, but, you know, everything else was dial-up. So it was those kind of conversations. And then the other conversations were all about, you know, you know what the implications for community, the implications for society. And it was really freaking exciting at that time. You know, I, I would run into my local pub, and, you know, again, no one knew what the Internet was, but I would go in, and I'd go, like, oh, my God, I talked to this person in yeah. Moscow today or whatever, you know, and I'm like, I'm talking to people all over the world. This is incredible. Can you imagine if we can, like, connect and talk to And they're like, huh? You know, it just didn't resonate. And I'm like, oh, my God. You know, this is like. You're going to believe me yeah. about 10 years from now. Yeah, yeah this is like. This has the capacity, like imagine what we can learn from one, you, imagine the possibilities for education, you know, and I was, imagine I was like, yeah, <laughs> exactly, you know, I don't think I imagine yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but it was really heavy, yeah. and it was like all the stuff, all that cool stuff that emerged in the 60s, my mom right. was totally into Buckminster Fuller, and, yeah. um, and I happen to work with a guy now who worked for 10 years with Bucky Fuller, so yeah. everything's so weird, anyway, yeah. Um, uh, so it was super exciting, and and you know I started um, uh, I started paying attention to these names that were starting to pop up. You know, like one one of the magazines I read faithfully was Mondo Two Thousand. Yeah. Um, Are and, you serious? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So so okay so. <laughs> at that so, yeah, time. So yeah, so Mondo Two Thousand. <laughs> uh, for those who don't know, was this sort of counterculture underground? Like the they kind of. They're kind of like the the beginnings of cyberpunk culture, right? Well, it was uh, it was the forerunner of Wired. It was it, it was exploring right. all the implications of digital culture. And the magazine, the art director, um, 
was Bart Nagel. And the uh-huh. magazine, you look at them now, and they look like they could be from now. Right. You yeah. know, it was super ahead of their time. Super ahead of their time. Yeah. And having some of those early conversations about, you know, the internet and what that's going to be like. And, yeah. Um, yeah. All of it. Before you know? Wired existed. Yeah, Before exactly. Wired came in and like corporatized it and, <laughs> yes. and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. So what, yeah. what, what was funny is because where I was, eventually I met Ken Goffman, you know, Are You Serious? And mm-hmm. I ended up doing his, I, I, work, I did some work for him for a while. Uh-huh. You know, getting him placed in some articles and interviews. And then also I ran his presidential campaign in 96. <laughs> <laughs> it was his fuck the vote campaign. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, that. And then I started uh-huh. seeing s- certain names starting to pop up. Okay. And, you know, and then as we morphed eventually into Wired and all that, I started seeing this name, John Lepkowski, as a byline on uh, some uh-huh. pieces and on Burr Sterling and so on and so forth. And... Just kind of filed that away somewhere, but I right. I, I, kn- I noticed that there was starting to be a um, uh, like a pool of these names that were popping up. Doug Rushkoff, yeah, you know, and you just oh, and so I started reading all their stuff, yeah, because they were talking about the oh my god, the amazing power, you know. We were all like, we, right. know, this is great, and right. um, you know, and I I I just I I try to explain this to people that. It was really heady, and it was really exciting, and it was really encouraging. Like, there was a dawn of something new. And I remember um, I remember in 95 being on the, on the playa at Burning Man, my first Burning Man, when there were only 3,000 people uh-huh. there. And just standing on the playa, and I believe I was, I had ingested some sort of natural fungal material. <laughs> and I was having this complete, I felt this, it felt like this feeling like the earth was moving and there was this uh-huh. wave coming. Yeah. And it was about this kind of energy. And like, these are these are early, early days. Yeah. Before what we currently see is not even as. remotely. Like, not even remote. Like that wasn't even a, a, a far up idea. Yeah. This, yeah. This crazy, was it was yeah. still wild frontier at, at Burning Man. You still had people were bringing guns onto the playa. Uh-huh. People were driving on the playa, and you know it was so. And it was there was no ticketing. There was no. Well, there was, oh, but okay. it was like there was a little ticket booth, and one of my friends, J.D. Bogman. Um, you know, you know, it's firepower. <laughs> you know, and you're like, oh, you know, yeah, go that way. And it was, and you drive across the playa, there was no gate kind of thing. Sure, yeah. And it was like Mad Max, you know, you're all driving right. next to these cars, like, yeah. Yeah, you know. <laughs> we're still really Mad yeah. Max, not just like, yeah, not just yeah. like the kind of, it's yeah. almost like Mad Max cosplay at this Absolutely. point. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it was really, really exciting. Uh-huh. And I could feel the energy, I mean, it just felt like something was being birth at yeah. that time something wholly new some something yeah and however i wondered when madison avenue would start taking notice you did already then because i'd noticed it i really noticed it with grunge the grunge movement yeah that felt really for for a gen xer yeah that felt like yeah Hello, the, you yeah. know, everything kind of really freaking sucks and, you know, we're angry and it felt well, like... Well, that was my kind of entry point <laughs> into, uh, into like, counterculture was, was okay. grunge. I'm still pretty young at that point, but, yeah. um, you know, my first uh, favorite bands were, like, Nirvana and, yep. and, you know, all the 
Soundgarden, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, Pearl yeah. Jam <laughs> totally. eventually, you know, Sonic Youth and all that. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I always kind of felt some sort of connection between all the things you're, you're talking about mm-hmm. in that movement as well. So, and it was very interesting how, like, you know, mid '90s that really shifted into a, you know, like <laughs> Nirvana became. Like uh, uh, Creed and Nickelback, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, that's really what happened. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and it was you know it was just kind of sad towards the end. Yeah. Um. So okay, so you saw this this coming. You saw this um, this sort of trajectory of like okay, this is really great now, but there's a there's a sort of like, <laughs> yeah. you know, <laughs> immortal uh, uh, a dread. Yeah, that, because uh, it's it's sort of like, you know, when Frodo had put on the ring and the right. eye, eye of Sauron was like, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like salivating. It's like Madison Avenue going like, you know, and yeah. And, and, and yeah. we went, we yeah. started shifting at that time. Uh-huh. 95 is like the, that, the year, the tipping point year. Okay. Or maybe let's say 96. 95 sure. was when it like really culminated in this excitement. But a number of things happened that I noticed that in 96, like, let's just say with Burning Man for a minute, it jumped sure. from 3,000 to 10,000. Sure, million. yeah. And that in 96 or several, you know, deaths that happened because of people driving on the playa, and it just had this kind of, it was like what it reminded me of a little bit. And this is no, nothing against Burning Man, but it had that feeling of, people have described it before, like, you know, the, 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 the positive beginning, even though it was later, you know, the, the like summer of love and Woodstock was right. the, the good part of the right. hippie thing. But and then, then the 70s. Altamont, yeah. then Altamont, Altamont happened. Right, Altamont. <laughs> and then the darkness. That was, uh, so for those those who don't know what Altamont is, Altamont was uh, <laughs> in the in the 19th, Early 1970s. What year was? You know what year Let's it was? See. Yeah, it was 69 or 70. Something yeah, like that. so that yeah. was um, at a Rolling yeah. Stones concert. Yeah, Rolling Stones, Altamont Speedway in California. Uh, go ahead. You seem to know that. Oh the story yeah. A little well, better than you me. know, it just kind of got this ugly vibe. People picked up the ugliness, and uh-huh. the Hell's Angels had uh, chosen themselves to do security for the Stones, and uh-huh. they ended up killing a guy. Yeah. You know, and it's it's really horrific, and you just um, you just. The, I've, I've read lots of things about like people sure. who were there, and it just felt like well, this and it, is... it makes me think too of uh, Hunter S. Thompson's uh, book on the Hell's Angels. Oh yeah, as well, <laughs> and he kind of does present it as a sort of like dark side of the hippie generation. Absolutely, um, absolutely. So okay, so uh, we're on the same page, uh, me and you. But um, but go on with so you with you knew so thing. you had this sense then yeah. that okay, so we're in the we're in the good times, and then '96 rolls around. And it's like oh. Something is shifting. And I think most people probably didn't realize it, but you were kind of like at the forefront of it. So it makes yeah. sense that you would kind of. I can totally. Yeah. yeah, I can. I can tell you that, you know, what I loved about my job at Exemplar was it was so free. And Exemplar I, was, again. Um, uh, the logic synthesis chip right. design software okay. company, the startup I worked at in Berkeley. Yeah, where it, you had the T1. Yeah, of, yeah. it mm-hmm. was so free. It was the best corporate job I ever had, and it was the last corporate job I ever had. <laughs> um, yeah. Because I couldn't go back after that. Um, so what I noticed is, like, here's this environment where everyone's encouraged to, you know, go to their full creative potential. 
you know, everybody was, you know, there was a level playing field. It was the first job I ever had where it was, you know, even though there were, you know, CEO and all that, it didn't feel like hierarchy. It felt like distributed okay. networking kind of thing. So everyone was a, a valued contributor. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, oh my God, it can be like this. I'm like, what a concept. This is why I could never be in school. This is why I hated regular jobs. I couldn't yeah. work any other way. Um, so, you know, so there was that heady, there was still that wild frontier thing. It felt like cool and all the cool kids were doing it. And it was really fun. And then all the like khakis and polo shirts started showing up. Yeah. And, and nothing against khakis and polo shirts. Sure. But there's a certain uniform. Right. That is worn. I think, no, I think we understand that. <laughs> Especially after, you know, Charlottesville, right? Like, yeah, exactly. Sorry and, and, to, yeah, to yeah, associate everyone with that. It's not that, entirely no. true, but I'm trying to illustrate a point. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's the, yeah, just all of a sudden, um, the, you know, all the marketing types, all the people like, hey, we're going to, you know, this is... When right. the dot com things, the dot com boom started right, happening, right? Exactly. So yeah. all these people that had no, no real business being in tech started flooding into tech. Interesting. You yeah. know, no interest, no back, no understanding of the background right. of where it came from. Didn't really it, understand what they were getting. It was just all in. about how much freaking money can we make? Right. That, that's all they cared about in my right. mind, right? And so it was that at that time that I was like. Okay, it's been fun in the Bay Area, but it's like, you know, if anybody's lived out there, it's super stimulating, but I needed some time to go away for a while and just kind of process and then output. Sure, yeah. Um, so, as, you know, so I, you know, I left a job where I was making, and this was in 95, I was making between my pay and my commissions from Pacific Rim stuff about 80000 a year. You know, and I told, so yeah. it's a little bit more now, uh, yeah. but, but I told people I, I couldn't, you know, I, I said, something's happening. It's turned ugly, man. You know, it's, it's like Altamont. And, um, <laughs> you know, just all the smarmy marketing people started showing up everywhere. Sorry, uh -huh. marketing people, you're not all smart. But, <laughs> but it was like that. It was just yeah. all about money. It wasn't about the adventure. It wasn't about the experience anymore, so on and so forth. So I decided, you know, as dot-com came out, I left and I moved to New Mexico and hung out with artists, you know, and just kind of backed away for a while and started doing web development. Yeah. Because it gave me something to do. Right. Where, again, I didn't have to have a traditional job. Um, so, so what was interesting as, you know, the dot-com bubbles like getting bigger and bigger and bigger, I'm starting to specialize and go niche, and I focused on my my web clients were, um, you know, artists, um, researchers, B and Bs, you know, just specific like yeah. Uh, and I got lots of business, never advertised, got tons of referrals, so I started going like up like this, and then the dot com <laughs> thing exploded, right? Right, yeah. And everybody's like, oh, oh my God, you know, like people in flames and you know, buildings <laughs> tumbling over. And But I was like, oh, da, 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 da. <laughs> you know, because it wasn't about it wasn't about the money. Uh, right. Of course, it was a way for me to make a living. But I was really interested in how can I help all these amazing people further their work yeah. through getting their themselves out into the world. Right. So there's something about that, so, which ties into what we'll talk about more. Yeah. Um, um, so, 
And it and at that time, it just started getting ugly. It wasn't it was starting to get not fun anymore. Uh huh. And uh, and it it lost that. You know, it just had lost the. I don't. It's it's just so hard to describe. I've been at. I've been in those situations a couple of times in my life where I know that there's a major shift happening uh-huh. and how exciting it is. Yeah. You know, and one of those is now, oddly enough. But huh. um, anyway, so that's kind of what it Should was. We'll get into that later. Yeah. yeah it was, <laughs> <laughs> so is that kind of, yeah, it was, it was really fascinating time. It was, it was so exciting. Okay. So uh, let's then transition to, um, you know, so, okay, so let's take the lesson from what you, <laughs> you were just saying. <laughs> there was a lot there. But the idea was basically that you you saw this, you know, you came into um, this technology, this digital uh, network technology um, with, you know, big open eyes, like, oh, my gosh, this is so amazing. This is This is like... The possibilities are endless, mm-hmm. and we can make these things real. We can we can take these I- these ideals and bring them down to, to earth and make them a reality. And um, but that at that kind of at that point where they were being brought into reality by the 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 slick uh, <laughs> uh, businessmen yeah. with the uh, the ties and the khakis and the what have you. <laughs> Um, that's when, in your perception, it started to change. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about that change and, and how you view that change and how that change has led us here. So we're obviously talking about, uh, technology going into the hands of, of corporations, um, and the way that you kind of described it, like they didn't really understand mm-hmm. the technology or what it could really do or what it was really meant for, or the, or the deeper countercultural roots, or you know, yeah, the, or they, the yearning they just for didn't community care. Yeah. And, and helping humanity and that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they kind of came to it with their with their old school mindset. Yes. And um, uh, and so then in your mind, what happens then? Well, um, I've been thinking about this a lot lately um, because. Well, one of the other things I do or I am is um, I'm a minister of spiritual science. <laughs> it's something called okay. spiritual science. Okay, so I went to school for four years studying comparative religions and okay. death and dying and you know esoteric wisdom and hidden wisdom and stuff like that. So um, that's one way I move in the world. That before I've until these you know recent last couple of years I've kept completely separate from the tech side. Yeah, and I've been seeing an issue with that. Now I'm bringing it together. I mention that because it seems to me that in the early days, the head and the heart were working together. You know, there uh-huh. was this, there's this, this deep desire, as I was talking about a minute ago. You know, to like these. This is going to be amazing. How we can help our fellow man and women and donuts or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, it it was it was just that feeling of like right. that again the carrying for forward the the idealism and the yearning for you know evolution and growth and expansion yeah all you that know. stuff that traces back to, yeah and it was yeah. very much that's what I think it was like super heart centered but you know like these brilliant minds it was together yeah when the marketing kind of mentality came in the money only it was only here right. and this went away. 
And that's when I completely lost interest. And for a while, I didn't want anything to do with the tech community, right? Uh Um, So it feels like that's what's a lot of what's happening now. I mean, um, I just, uh, the whole, the whole, you know, I I don't, I don't um, fault anyone for trying to make a living or, you know, you know, being an expert business person and, you know, being able to turn a company or whatever. But to me, it is so sterile and it's so, it just seems like technology for technology's sake, money for money's sake. Yeah. And it just, it just seems like this giant ship going, you know, like, let's mix up all the metaphors, (laughs) like, Going sure. off a cliff as it hits the iceberg. <laughs> 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 it's just, uh-huh. really, it just, and it, it, it all at once, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah like you uh-huh. know, like the Super Simpsons episode, of course, you know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, it just like, so, you know, I, I just, I have no, see, how do I put this? It used to be I was excited about technology, and I would read all the magazines, and I would listen to, um, you know, we didn't really have podcasts back then, but, you know, early versions of that. Just, I couldn't absorb enough. I was so excited about what's coming forward. Now, with most of it, I just don't want anything to do with it. Yeah. Because it just seems so Mm head-based and not heart-based. But it feels to me like there's these diverging paths yeah you know it's it's all the same technology but there really are it's almost like two different realities happening interesting um concurrently yeah you know so it doesn't feel like one is you know i i really don't believe that the sort of runaway tech the kind of scary you know terminator type tech is going to take over i really don't feel that you know you don't believe in skynet no i'm yeah. not a skynet kind okay. of person and but i also believe thinking things make it so so it's like stop thinking like <laughs> um okay i i it just feels to me like uh-huh. i don't know i keep thinking of max headroom <laughs> i love uh-huh, that show uh-huh. <laughs> Like, this is Max Headroom, the the show from the was it the early nineties? Yeah, or eighties. I 80s, think it might and, have been. Yeah, in this so one. yeah, Max Headroom uh, <laughs> is about a. Uh, it's one of the kind of early cyberpunk. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was actually kind of a comedy too. Yeah, it was like pirate TV because yeah. there was this oppressive culture, and yeah. so they would set up. I was always into pirate radio, but it was it was about a a, a reporter who uh, dies. Yeah. But his consciousness is stuck in a machine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the machine's kind of glitchy, <laughs> yes. and so this character that emerges is this glitchy, uh, you know, sort of super cool dude. Yeah, yeah. That they then exploit in all these weird ways, and he ended up actually. You can find a bunch of commercials from the eighties and yeah. early nineties. <laughs> Pepsi, is, yeah. yeah. And then he do like New Coke or something. I, one I, of those. I, yeah, one yeah, of them. Yeah, one of them. Uh, anyway, yeah. But so okay, so Max had so you're reminded of Max Headroom. Yeah, I just keep thinking of this. It just having this feeling of, um, you know, again, one of the things I was really interested in when I was in the Bay Area was the whole idea of pirate radio. You know, and there was this guy in um, the Bay Area at the time. His name escapes me now. Okay. But he was, you know, like. You know, screw the FCC. Right. You know, the airwaves should be free. We okay. should be able to like connect with one another. So he would have his like mobile broadcasting unit. He'd like pop up all over the hills around the Bay Area, and <laughs> uh-huh. you know, and it was kind of a 
like an, an uh, idea of a survival research labs yeah, um, yeah. show where through the network, you know, and it, in those days we didn't have the, the cell phone. We're starting to get cell phones, but yeah. through like BBSs. So we were connecting with each other through BBS? bulletin board systems. So oh, I, <laughs> in the early internet. Yeah, uh, yeah. So uh -huh. because most of the people I even when I was on the web, not until about three years later, like '97 or something, did I know anybody that was on the web. Right. Yeah. You know. So, but a lot of people had dial-up and they were doing bulletin board systems. Yeah. So command line chatting with one another. So a lot of the stuff was disseminated. You know, so if a rave was coming up, yeah. you'd find out uh, on a BBS. Uh -huh. Night of show, you'd find out where to go. Oh, wow. If a survival research lab show was coming up, you, that's how it was spread to. Right. Same with the pirate radio guy. Right. So I'm mentioning this because <laughs> it's like, I can't help it. I love yeah. subversion. And it feels like, especially with the net neutrality crap um, that just went through, um, and the fact that there's a lot of people working on indie web, you know, I think that there's going to be this whole, you know, it's already happening. Yeah, you know? yeah, that that's happening. And uh, so I was just talking to Ann Boyson mm -hmm. uh, before this conversation, and uh, she we were talking about trends in in youth, right? Mm -hmm. in, uh, generations that are younger than the millennials. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the very interesting things she she mentioned was how, um, you know. A lot of people are under underestimating how much they care about privacy, and how, in a sense, their kind of um, their migration to things like Snapchat and like other smaller platforms away from, you know, the Facebook mm -hmm. and Instagram and so on, is an attempt to get more privacy and mm -hmm. is an attempt to Absolutely. sort of like create some some buffer between them and the corporate overlords that are sucking up all the data. Oh, yeah, data. and who think that they have them pegged, Uh huh. you know? I mean, yeah. my daughter fills me in on a lot of the stuff through, you know, that and YouTube culture and, like, what's uh -huh. happening. It's pretty fascinating, and I think you're spot yeah. on. I think she and you are spot on. There's a whole, you know... Well, and so <laughs> what you're telling me about this sort of reminds me of that. Of like, yeah. at this point in the early internet, and I remember this, too. Like, it was kind of like this cool secret thing that nobody knew about yet. <laughs> yeah, and that yeah. was what made it great. And, yeah. and it's definitely changed, and it's still great, but it's in a diff very different way now that it's so, not even just, it's beyond mainstream. It's like you yeah. can't function without it at this point. Exactly. Everything now on the internet is constant, you can't go to a freaking website without 900 ads popping right, up. Right, yeah. I'm like, why would I come to your site? So I'm starting to back away now. Uh -huh. You know, all these people that have told me, like, you know, you can do all this incredible marketing. Everybody's in how you market your site. Right, I'm yeah. like, you know what? There's a whole group of people, lots and lots, thousands and thousands and thousands of people that you're going to completely repel. And they're going to be going this way, back to that space where, you know, information was more free. It wasn't all programmed. It wasn't all like trying to manipulate you to do a thing, you know, or buy a product, you know, yeah. or vote a certain way. It's just, it's, it's in the, in the, in the negative part of it, you know, it's like, I try to think of it in the terms of give them enough rope and they'll hang themselves. Uh -huh. And cause it's like, you know, there's too much noise and adding more noise is not going to make it better. 
Yeah. And it just... So is, is that how you view, say, you know, like the 2016 election, for instance? Absolutely. Like, yeah. It just, you know, and my daughter and I, she's 20, she's almost 21, but we've been talking at length about it and, yeah. and just discussing that, um, you know, the whole... You know, I, like I brought up the other day, it's like, hey, you know, the good news about Trump winning the election is that we don't see any news about the Kardashians anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, right? But, you know, that's what drove uh-huh. this guy to be, you know. No, it's, it's, like, I, I it's interesting, yeah. That's another thing that drove me insane. And I'm not trying to be all judgy. I'm just saying that it makes me really sad that... You know, so many people, like, got sucked up in that whole reality show. You know, everything was a reality show. So as my daughter said, is it any surprise that we have Trump as president? Right. Right. You know? And it's just so far away from what's grounded and real and connected to the earth. And and it makes me really sad. Yeah. And it seems like that's a big part of what's driving everything. You know, the climate falling apart, everything. You know, it's just all interconnected. No no connection to anything but this cloud yeah. of information. <laughs> well there's so yeah, I mean there's there's two there's two um uh two things that come to mind. One is um Marshall McLuhan uh talking about the um the global village. Mm-hmm. Um the thing we forget about the global village <laughs> is that the global village is also full of like some pretty provincial stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, as much as we wanted the sort of community of the global village, um, you know, I kind of, I sometimes, when I'm looking at these same things, I'm kind of thinking like, well, yeah, we got it. We also got the crappy parts of it. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, yeah, like the, ru- the rumors. Uncle, that, Uncle Ted under the Christmas tree. Right, yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, and villages have, you know, yeah. surveillance as well. Right? It's like everyone's looking out at everyone, like, what, what are you up to? What are you up to? Uh, and the other thing that I was uh, thinking about was um, the uh, uh, Guy Debord, uh, the Society of the Spectacle, mm-hmm. and uh, his his sort of characterization of spectacle as this sort of uh, almost as this force, you know, of of um, uh, of media, this mm-hmm. sort of like underbelly of media that um, that drives. The culture, the modern culture, mm-hmm. um, and is is almost like has a life of its own, as it uh, infiltrates the Absolutely. minds of, of people, and how it's almost necessary because you need some way to mediate to many many people. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's this darkness of it that, like in the spectacle, like all subtlety is essentially lost, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and yet the subtlety is what makes the whole thing work. Yeah. Um, so. I guess I present that as sort of like a something maybe for you to riff off of, um, just you know both the, the the global village and maybe the spectacle going hand in hand in the sense that um, you know we're we're connected but we're but the way that we're connecting is through this extremely brash and blunt kind of uh, mediation. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So like. Uh, you know, in a sense, like we're the the fact that we're limited by ones and zeros almost sort of makes makes this more difficult to to actually 
communicate. Like another, like another example of this, I was mentioning to Anne, uh, I don't think we got it on the rec- record, but anyway, um, <laughs> this, this, so uh, another, another example of this is, um, uh, say, t- telephony, mm-hmm. right? Uh, just calling people on the telephone. Mm-hmm. The, the quality of the call that you make today is actually worse than, what, than the quality of the call you would have made several years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is due to um, the nature of the wave packet mm-hmm. that is going across the line. Mm-hmm. It's compressed. It's, it's, uh, it's not as rich yeah. of a sound that is both uh, recorded and, uh, uh, and delivered. Even though yeah. it might be crisper, even though it might sound crisper, it's missing... Uh, yeah. elements from it that um, a more analog type of uh, uh, recording or, or telephone yeah. uh, connection would have had. Well, you can, you know, same thing that we say about uh, LPs, you know, listening to LPs on a beautiful hi-fi exactly. system. Exactly, yes. As opposed to, you know, a digital exactly. uh, copy of it. It's right. completely, like, richer in depth and breadth and something. Exactly, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, the 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 rate at mm-hmm. which it's, it's yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I was hoping you were just to rip oh, off Oh, yeah, yeah, that. yeah. Well, what can, I'm, I'll just go with what immediately came to mind. Um, <laughs> and I hope it ties in. Um, this is really cool. Uh, you know, back in the, back in the 90s, um, I was traveling to L.A. with my boyfriend at the time, and um, this was in August, and because we were insane... Uh, we stopped, um, <laughs> probably addled by something. Anyway, there's a lot of reference to addled stuff here. But, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, um, it's important for yeah, the context, yeah. too. <laughs> exactly. I understand um, that. But we, we went to Joshua Tree. Yeah. Oh, Monument. in August? <laughs> oh, you See? are definitely insane. So, yeah. So we're there, but we're like, we realize, like, you know, there's something kind of cool about this. Yeah. There's no one here. Right. Because it's so hot. So anyway, we're we're there and we're like, okay, since we're insane and we're already here and there's no one here and this is really nice because there's no one here, let's get out and walk around. So we walked around for about ten feet and then like And then your sneakers melted. <laughs> yeah. No, what we did, it was kinda cool. We um you know, we just decided to because the heat was so oppressive. Yeah. We we just laid down on the earth. Oh. You know, amidst the, the choya cactus, and just, you know, you couldn't hear cars passing. You couldn't hear anything. And we just sort of quietly panted in the heat, you know, like a <laughs> wizard. And it was cool because uh-huh. uh, the best way to put this is that I heard the desert breathing. Oh, wow. It just felt like the desert was breathing, and you'd hear, you know, it, it, it super present to like, you know, a snake slithering past or, uh-huh. or you know, like a, a piece of, like an ant knocking like a pebble over. So yeah. It was that kind of thing, and it was just like so super present, you know. And um, to me, that was like, man, this is like cool. And, and having all this noise stuff, um, just like how in God's name can any of us have empathy <laughs> for the planet? Yeah. You know, of course we're shitting all over. Right. Excuse my French, but of course we are because we have no connection to it. You know, it's just all this information. And another thing I, I think about with um, you know spinning this sort of container 
you know, it, it, that, that's what I was, it, it ties into what I was talking about earlier, that feeling of there's these two realities. So it's like this technology spun up this thing. It's like a bubble floating off, yeah, yeah. you know, with just this, it's not necessarily, I mean, for some people, maybe that's heaven to them. Mm -hmm. And they're happy to be consumers and, you know, sold to and, you know, and entertained and, you know, they're thinking completely black and white and yes mm -hmm. and no and <laughs> super binary. Maybe that's their reality. And, but it feels to me like um, there's something else emergent here at the same time. Yeah. It just seems to be getting, I just keep having an image of, um, and this is why I say the excitement's back for me. Yeah. There's a feeling of like this rhizomatic mat yeah. that's been forming underground. Right. That uh, it seems to me that a lot of the digital pioneers that I was mentioning in the 90s that I started noticing floating up, they're starting to talk about this uh -huh. sort of rhizomatic layer of things. They're mm -hmm. all like turning their backs on, you know. Well, like. Steve Jobs famously wouldn't let his kids use an iPad. Exactly, exactly. Or yeah, just, yeah. And there's more and more. Just uh, there seem, you know, I follow a lot of them online, and you know, I like like Tiffany Schlain, who, you know, right. uh, uh, the, she's one of my favorite people. Um, you know, she, she did the uh, the digital Sabbath sort of thing. Yeah, right, and right? she's uh, she's done all sorts. She was the founder of the Webby Awards, uh -huh, and and. Uh -huh. Um, but, you know, she's doing all these things. It's more about connection and family and community. And, you know, every project she works on is about more about helping people. And then um, Doug Rushkoff's efforts are taking a different, you know, like yeah. his latest book, Throwing Rocks at the Google. Yeah, and, and he's now doing a podcast, a TV yeah. one, which I, I will plug and I love. Yes, <laughs> yeah. You know, and out. everybody I'm reading, it's like there's this, you know, there seems to be this like linking up that's happening, and it and it sort of, again, I I'm real visual, obviously, and and I just have this image of this rhizomatic mat, and mm. I bring this up all the time that I saw Jane Goodall speak in Berkeley in '94 when she was launching her Roots and Shoots program, yeah, which teaches kids how to shepherd or steward the earth in their communities, and you know, she just gave the analogy of, um, uh, you know, the tenderest shoots can break up the most entrenched concrete and asphalt. Right, and yeah. that just stuck with me. Yeah. And that's kind of what it feels like. And it just, it's almost like it's not an either or. There's a both and. And um, so, yeah, I'm definitely not in the world of technology for technology's sake. But I don't feel like that's all we're, you know, I feel like it's, it's, it's there's something about entropy happening. Yeah. With that, what I'm noodling on a lot right now is the intersection of a number of these things happening, you know, these different realms. Right. And that's the, those are the realms I move in. So I'm not merely in tech. I'm in art. I'm in, you know, science. I'm in um, sustainability. I'm in uh, metaphysics and spirituality. And, and, you know, I'm interested in where they all, because there, there's, all sorts of things happening on all those levels simultaneously, yeah. like boom, 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 boom. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, whoa. Okay. <laughs> you know? Let's talk about uh, your projects. Okay, because it kind of ties into this. Yeah, and yeah. we've we've been we've been going all yeah. over, but I think now we're ready to to, to talk. You know, 
to, to bring it home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you've, you've got some very interesting uh, experiential art <laughs> that you're involved in. Yeah. Um, I'm actually not that familiar with it, so I'd love to hear uh, if you could describe it a little bit and, and for our audience to get an idea of what it is. And if you can, maybe tie it in, you know, use what we were just talking about, your background. To totally. Because kind of, I, I do see a trajectory, but yeah, if like, you could help make those connections. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I can totally tie it in. Okay. Because that was a really great segue kind of thing, um, because it completely deals with what I'm working on right okay. now. I moved to Austin in 2005, and, you know, I'd done little events here and there beforehand, but um, I, I met... John Lepkowski, of course, he was one of the people, the bylines I was reading in Wired way back when in the Bay Area. And we, we realized we knew all the same people, and we connected. And he asked me to um, uh, be on the EFF Austin board at the time and, you know, and help plan the party. And um, so what did we do? That came, no, that, yeah. So I was going to work on that, but first he ended up introducing me to several people um, because they were working on, John had helped get the first Maker Fair here in Austin okay. in 2007 because he knew Mark Fraunfelder and, you know, and they're good friends and all that. So he said, why don't we do a project together? So he introduced me to a friend of his, Derek Woodgate, futurist, and knows him, um, David Damaris, um, uh, Joey Lopez, who was working with Sandy Stone at the ACT Lab at UT and now runs the Convergent Media at... Um, one of the colleges in San Antonio. So this this incredible room of, of pretty brainiac people. And um, we were going to design this home of the future for Maker Fair. <laughs> um, so everybody was contributing pieces. And one of the pieces I contributed was um, that game had come out from a company in Boulder, A Journey to the Wild Divine, and where you could wear biofeedback things in your fingers. Uh -huh. And then you could like go through this mystical, like mist style land, you know, and cause spheres to rise if you could focus <laughs> your energy uh -huh. and, all, and all this. But it was interactive, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. It's 2007. It's, it's early interaction. Yeah, yeah. And so we decided to like do this, you know, use that. And we, we did a reverse projection on the screen that came over Brian Park's phlogiston chair that, um, uh, that, uh, basically gives you the feeling of zero gravity. So oh, you're okay. like, so we wanted to show what virtual reality might kind of feel like. Oh, wow. Okay. We so we had this whole, this kind of thing and it was great. And yeah. Okay, so basically yeah. you're doing, you're doing a lot of these, um, you're doing a lot of these, uh, uh, big, they're almost like parties. Yeah. But they turned into experiences. But they have, but they're full of these experiences and yeah. whether that's, whether that's like an interactive thing or a talk yeah. or uh, I guess some sort of it's salons. It's all of it, yeah. Or... We have, uh, yeah, and I've done, yeah, salons. I did a, um, an event, the Tesla versus Edison thing. We, we built a, uh, a fictional mining town out east of so Austin. These are kind of like, uh, you know, an advancement on the happenings of the city. Exactly, okay. yeah. Well, thank you for putting it. Yeah, yeah, that's the piece I was looking for. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, deeply experiential. Uh-huh. Deeply participatory. Yeah. Interactive. Um, you know, just having, instead of being, um, going to something and having the entertainment pushed to you, 
you're you're part of the whole thing. Yeah. And so that that's always excited me, you know, doing that kind of thing. So yeah, I've I've, I've done salons, I've done little parties, big parties. Great. Um, so I was looking over my notes, and we you're every we covered everything Good. I was hoping to to Good. cover. And this has been an amazing, wonderful uh, journey. Yeah, this has been fun. <laughs> An exploration of many. <laughs> well, it's helping me topics. remember a lot of things. So. There, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so thank you very much, Maggie Duvall, yeah. for being here. You're welcome. And uh, um, hope you'll come again sometime. Oh yeah, absolutely. I I don't shut up very much. <laughs> so <laughs> ask me anything. Well, <laughs> we'll be here to record it. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Maggie. All right. Thanks for joining me on this trip through the shadow of the valley. If you'd like to learn more about Maggie or her work, please go to polycottassociates.com or mindtravelagency.com. I want to extend my special thanks to Maggie for sitting down with me for this interview and to Matt Grubb and Cammie Wilt, who so generously agreed to let me use the recording studio to produce this interview. Our theme music was generously provided by Bly, spelled B-I-E-L-E. You can find her on SoundCloud and at sarahbly.com. That's Sarah with an H-B-L-Y.com. Additional music was provided by Michael Garfield, host of the Future Fossils podcast, which I highly recommend. You can check him out on Patreon and Bandcamp at michaelgarfield.bandcamp.com That'll do it for this episode. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. Share it with any friends or family you may think enjoy these interviews. I've been your host, Tal Leeds, saying, keep going.